0: Amen. You may be seated if you wish to be. Seems like God is taking everybody to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to be in Isaiah chapter 8. Hey, uh, Ian, turn me down just a little bit until I tell you to stop. Turn me down. Take me down. About right there. Is that okay with everybody? Do you want me down a little more? Down a little more? Okay. All right. Because my voice carries you know, they say that cats have nine lives. But I think my dog has nine lives. Okay. Not my cat. And the other day the coyotes got my dog. Just tore that dog all up, almost killed it. Then we first got the dog a car run over it, you know. And so then we we put the dog on a leash. We're gonna get one of them shock collars now. You know, I'm gonna blast that dog, I'm gonna tell you right now. I know for all you dog lovers, okay, I'm going to get the strongest shock collar they got. And every time that thing even gets going, I'm going to zap that dog until it just starts going into, in, okay, I'm just teasing. Yeah, okay, okay. Ooh. I forgot, we've got a lot of dog lovers in here. But, but this dog, there's amazing about this dog, it gets in all kinds of trouble and it gets itself hurt. But what's so amazing, it always knows how to come home. Isn't that amazing? Now, see, that's what God wants from us, not to be a dog. But God wants us to know where home is. God wants us to know even when we're hurt and we bring it on ourselves, Because most of the time when you get in trouble, you done caused it. You know, we, we give the devil way too much praise. And you know, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it because you was in your own lust. You know, the devil didn't make you do it, okay? My daughter one time, this is all free, by the way. This is not my message yet. But my daughter, I think she was seven, eight, nine, somewhere. And she told me, shut up. How many, you know, in my house, you don't tell me that? And I said, what did you say? And she said, you know what, Dad, I'm sorry. She said, the devil made me do it. She said, the devil's on my back. And I thought, well, maybe this girl's got some spiritual awareness here and we was doing laundry and I said something else to her and she told me shut up again and oh she said dad I'm sorry she said the devil's on my back I said you tell him get off because I'm gonna get on and I'm a whole lot worse than he is isn't that right you know so we give we give the devil too much praise when sometimes we just need to make better decisions in the Holy Spirit somebody say amen to that and then, you know, another thing, and I don't know why I'm headed into this, but sometimes we live in too much crisis. Crisis come on our own without us making them. Can you say amen to that, you know? So, you know, if you're one of those people that you have to be in crisis, there's a lot of people that have to be in crisis, and when there's no crisis, they develop one. They're hard people to be around. Amen, don't you just wanna run away from them? Well, I'm saying God can change those things. And he wants to change those things. You know, they say, I went, when I was a secular counselor, I've really never been a secular counselor. I've always been born again. But when I was doing secular counseling, you know, they, they say that there is no hope for a sociopath. They say there is no hope for a sociopath. Well, I got news for you. There is hope for a sociopath. Now, his name is Jesus. Because Jesus is the hope of glory, and he is the answer to every single thing. That we have. I was teaching a Christian counseling class at Fresno University here, uh, oh, I don't know, 30 years ago or 35 years ago. And, and uh, it was Fresno Christian uh, University, pretty good sized school. And I was teaching there a, uh, a class on Christian counseling when I made mention to every one of those students. I said, now, you, there's not a problem in your life that God doesn't have an answer for in that Bible. And I said, there's not anybody that's ever going to come to you that God doesn't have an answer for. He's got an answer. And you know what? The, 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 the professor of the psychology department, who is supposed to be a born-again Christian, took me aside and said, you know, I don't believe that. And I said, you don't believe what? And he said, I don't believe that there's an answer for all problems in that word. I told him right now, I said, there's an answer to every problem. It's called being born again. How many of you got that? Because once you're born again, right? Even if you're a sociopath, you're a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. Things change. Amen. Okay, so that was a great song. I think Harold chose it for me. Isaiah chapter 8, and we're going to start with about a verse 11. Now, you don't have to go there, but write this down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to go in Isaiah chapter 8. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, he says, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, I think the King James says perilous times will come then I think there's another translation that says terrible times will come. They're going to be difficult days. Paul's saying in the last of the last days. Now we're living in the last of the last days before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my heart is on revival. And I pray for revival. And here's what the Holy Spirit is teaching me this church is in the middle of revival. We are in revival. And so I'm looking at things that take place. And so I saw the church. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know what it was, but I saw this church and I saw all these fingers leaving this church and touching different things. Then I saw these fingers, like a hand, the fingers just just going out out of this church and touching different churches, touching different people, touching different businesses, and I saw that. And so I, I said to the Lord, but we're a small church. And the Lord, and I was talking to him in the office today, but the Lord said, Smyrna was a small church in, in, in Revelation. And he said, Smyrna was a small church. He said, but it was the greatest church of all. He said, Smyrna said they were a poor church. He said, but they didn't understand they were the richest one of all the all the seven churches because I was right there in the middle of it. And wherever the Lord is, you're rich. Somebody say amen to that. You know, I heard a guy say one time, he said, my message was shallow and he preached positive confession, you know, name it and claim it. And by the way, there's a, there is some truth to that. There is when you, you pray, claim it in the name of Jesus by faith. But what happened was they took it way out of context. And I remember this guy saying this, he said, my message is shallow. And I thought, yes, it is. Because if it can't be preached around the world, then it's shallow. You got to have a message that can be preached around the world. Somebody say, "Amen." Well, Christ and Him crucified can be preached around the world. So I, I'm looking at this church, and the Lord shows me. Do you know that this church touches the world? Do you know that? You know, we touch Europe. We touch India. Do you do you know that we touch the world? We touch Central America. We touch Africa. We touch. A lot of the United States, we're touching the world. How many of you understand how many people you're touching every time you leave this place? And I saw these fingers just coming out of this church. I I say to the Lord, I'm I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm saying, yeah, but we're a small church, such and such. And I'm looking for revival. And, And the Lord says, it's here. He said, revival's here. Revival's in the midst of who you are. And I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at revival has to take place inside of me. And do you know that I can be in the greatest famine that ever was, but if revival's inside of me, there is no famine around me? How many of you understand that? Praise the name of the Lord. Yet, when we all get together, how much does God actually pour out his blessing upon us? And so as I was relating this morning in my office, and I want you to hear this, and I don't want you to get angry with what I'm saying, but I want you to hear the truth in it. Would would you say yes to that? Listen, when when we had that Azusa Street revival, that was a great revival. But that was then. That was then. The Argentine revival, that was a great revival, but that was then. Now I'm really going to get you. Do you understand the revival that happened on the day of Pentecost was then? That was then. Do you understand everything that come out of that early church revival where 3,000 was born again in one day and then 5,000 was born again in another day and all the miraculous things that took place in that revival the early church? Do you understand that that was a baby church? Do you understand they didn't have no New Testament to go by how many of you follow me they didn't have a New Testament to go by you know Timothy didn't get up and say let's turn to the 24th chapter of Matthew how many of you know that Peter didn't get up and say let's go over to Colossians 1:10." then have that they're writing it as they go along they're writing the New Testament as they go along and God is doing all of these things. And then they teach us that the scriptures are the inspired word of God. How many of you get a hold of that? Now pay attention to this. That was then. And if they was doing all of that, then how much further should we be today? You, you want to look at Azusa street, look at Azusa street and see the great things that God did. But we should be past beyond that. Look at that early church in the book of Acts. Wow. How many of you know we should be on that? See, I'm going to blow your mind. There's too many Baptists in here. There's too many Methodists in here. There's too many Pentecostals in here. There's too many assembly of God in here. How many of you understand when we start laying that stuff aside and saying, okay, now we're going to have a church. It's not going to be a traditional type of church. but it's going to be is we're going to have God in this place and let the liberty of the Holy Spirit come in this place. Let me tell you what takes place. Then the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit starts to come into this place and things in the people's lives start to change. Somebody say Amen to that. Amen. Paul says this. Now, that's what he says. He says, "Know this: in the last days, perilous times will come." And so, then all of a sudden, now I'm looking for this great revival. Then I start preaching about this great revival that is to come. And then, you know, and, and I and and I feel that there there is still truth to that, where the glory of the Lord will fill the the earth, because the Bible says that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. You know, and then as I'm doing that, you know, and not paying much attention to it, then Doris walks into my office one day and just bursts my bubble. And she says, are you sure? And as soon as she said that, I don't want to hear the rest of it. Are you sure there's going to be this revival? Remember that conversation? And I said, no. I'm not sure. And you're not sure. Because listen, when you start to study the New Testament, there's more dealings with the remnant church than there is with people as a whole. And Paul says something here. Listen to what he says. He says, know this or realize this that in the last days, perilous times will come. And men will fall back. And then you start to study the book of Thessalonians, and all of a sudden, Paul is going to say this to the Thessalonian church. He's going to say, when the church goes into the apostate stage, and the apostate means to fall away from truth, He says, then Antichrist or the son of perdition will be revealed. How many of you got that? And you know what the falling away is? The falling away of the truth is the falling away of the power of God. The falling away is this, the falling away of salvation. You see, there's still only one way to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's, I mean, to to come to the Father, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way. There's a great falling away. Now, listen, there's a falling away from his manifested power. We have, we have, somebody said, are you a holy roller? I said, not yet. Because we're afraid to allow God to manifest himself. Yeah. You know, we're afraid. We're afraid to see God manifest himself in this last day. So I say to the Lord, I say, okay, what about this revival? Here's what he told me. He said, take care of where you're at. And he said, have revival where you're at. Yes, sir. And I looked at that and I said, "Lord, we are." He said, "Yes, you are." See, we get so encompassed with numbers and different things that we forget the truth. Now, let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is evangelizing this word and making disciples. Now, understand something. I'm going to read you another one out, Second Timothy, and then I'm going to go over to Isaiah. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul says that to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.12, look at it. Go over there and get your Bible and look at that. He said, if you have a desire to live godly, If you have a desire to live godly you will be persecuted you you can't preach against abortion you you can't preach against the alternate lifestyle you can't preach about a a young man or a young woman being in it because We're politically mean. Well, understand something. Jesus was very political. You say he wasn't. Jesus was very political, people. He was always advocating the kingdom of heaven and the power of God and his righteousness. And Paul says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus may be persecuted. Don't say that. He says, shall be, will be persecuted. That's what he says. And so then you look at that and you think, wow, what's going on? Listen, the revival that we're looking for is here and now. And what is happening here and now is greater than what happened on Azusa Street. Boy, if you can get a hold of this, it's greater now than what happened in the early church. If you can get a hold of it with your words, because life and death is in the power of the tongue, according to the writer of Proverbs. If you can get a hold of that and you start speaking life, you'd be surprised what starts to take place in your life actually comes to pass. My feet are killing me. You ever heard somebody say, oh, my back is killing me. Come on. You just talk some nasty into yourself. Hey, let me ask you a question with people that have got cancer. How come they say, my cancer? People have diabetes. Why do they say, my diabetes? Why, why, why do we say that? I, I know I understand. But, but we start to claim things God doesn't want us to claim. Amen? And so we know that there's power in our words. Well, if there is power in our words to that effect, then why don't we start to claim people for the kingdom of God? And why don't we start to pray this way? Pray this way. I see my children as already saved. Wait wait a minute, Pastor. Your children aren't saved. I know it but I see them as already saved because I'm praying for their salvation and God hears my prayer. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. But now, now, Nancy and I watched a cute mu- movie last night. You know I haven't gotten to a message yet. I'm heating water. But Nancy and I watched a cute movie last night. Did Anybody watch that Dolly Parton special when they lived in the little cabin? Wasn't that a good movie? I didn't know that her mom and dad was that religious, and I didn't know that her grandfather was a pastor, you know. And, but wh- that was an amazing thing when that guy was in that, that mine, and that's based on the true story of her life. And, and he was pinned under a log, and, and an angel came and pulled him out. That was amazing. Okay, that, that was an amazing story. But the best part was, the best part was, he got saved. But he, didn't ha- he hadn't been baptized and now he's going to go to the coal mines, and she don't want him to go to the coal mines. And he said, what can I do for you? Now I'm kind of messing this up, so don't correct me on it, okay? But, but everybody sees the movie in their own different way. Okay. But, well, she, he, she said, well, you can do one thing. And what was that? And then the, the next show shows them standing in December in the mountains, standing to their waist in water. That's why I have no mercy for you today, Mike. Standing... <laughs> At the river, up to their waist, so that man could be baptized. Man, listen to me. Do do you understand what God's doing here? Do you understand what God wants to do in your life? You know, you know. I, 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 I'm not going to ramble because I hate rambling, but I, I do want to say this. Can you imagine somebody just having sin after sin after sin and then all of a sudden one day coming to the realization, if I come to Jesus and receive him as my personal Savior, in an instant, them sins are gone. Now, that'll make you run. That'll make you shout. Yeah, because because all of a sudden you're, you're this, all of these sins that have burdened you down and you feel like when I stand before God, I got to pay for these. And then all of a sudden in an instant by just coming to the Lord and receiving him as your Savior, it's all gone. Doesn't exist anymore. Called revival. Okay, here we go. So, so I'm going to tell you this. Here what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go past the early church because we should have matured in the faith since then. And we're going to go past the Azusa Street because we should have matured in the faith. We're going to go past the Argentine revival because we should have matured in the faith. And we're going to go past the, the uh, Pensacola revival because we should mature in the faith. And we're going to come right down to where we are right now. And where are we at right now? Right now, we're in revival. And right now, there are people that might want to run the aisle. It might bother you. Shut your eyes. Let them run. Yeah, if you're standing, hey, you got my permission. If you're standing by somebody and, and you want to praise the Lord and they're being mean to you, move. Just move. Amen. I mean, if I'm standing over here by a pastor and, and all of a sudden he's looking at everything I do, now I'm just going to move. I was I was in a boy. I, I, okay, Holy Spirit, I was in a service of about five thousand people. It was in it was in Broken Arrow, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Bob Yandian's deal, and there I was in this service. And the Holy Spirit told me to dance, and I said I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I said I'll look like a fool. So the Holy Spirit told me to dance. I'm not a dancer, people. And the reason why I don't, I got a big belly. And when you dance, the belly goes up up and down. That's ugly, okay? And so here I am, I'm in this, and the Lord said, I want you to dance. And I said, oh, okay. I mean, I feel no victory at all in this. I don't. Say, okay, God, you know I don't feel nothing. I'm. just, Oh, I don't want to dance, and the the Holy Spirit's telling me I want you to dance. I think it was my first and last time. But I said okay. I went to dance. I couldn't dance because it felt like that my feet were in concrete. I couldn't dance. So then I started dancing in my own way, and so so you know I started dancing. Oh, I felt stupid. I felt stupid. And no, I didn't get to victory where I wanted to shout. All I wanted was to quit. But I danced because the Holy Spirit told me to dance, seriously. And, and I did that. And so we get in the car, and Brother Parton was with me He said, man, what was you doing? He said, he said man, what was you doing? And I said, did it look bad? He said, yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought, whoa. I said, yeah. I said, well, the Holy Spirit told me to dance. He didn't say no more, you know. And I thought, whoa. I must have been a sight. Probably all five thousand people just looking at me. Well, I had, I had uh, uh, eczema. What do you call that? Huh? Eczema. Eczema. I had eczema, and I had it on my legs and on my side and on my shoulders. I had eczema and how many of you know you just can't get rid of eczema you can't do it it's itchy it's horrible okay and I had eczema I had it really really bad and Gary Dyer, Dyer was my doctor and everything and you know what I went to bed that night got up take a shower and I looked and said I never had a trace of e- eczema on my body <laughs> I never had trace and, t- and to this day I still don't that, amazing. that is amazing See, because God's saying, I want you to go past these because I got a work for you to do now because he's a now God. Now, I'm going to get into the message. I'm not going to be long in the message. The introduction was too long. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 11, oh, listen to what he says. He says, for thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people's saying. You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all this people uh, called a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. And I'm going to stop right there. Because the Lord should be our sanctuary. We are the sanctuary for the Lord. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. And I'm looking at that and here's what I see out of that. I am not to walk in the way of the traditional church. I am not to walk in the way of man-made doctrine. I am not, God is is instructing me, we are not to walk in that way. Listen, I don't want to be a cult. Now, understand that. Let me tell you what a cult is. A cult is when you start messing with the deity of Christ Jesus. But if you don't, if you have a different doctrine as a Pentecostal than a Baptist, that's not a cult, that is a doctrinal difference, and there's a lot of difference there. The Baptist church is not a cult. The Pentecostal church is not a cult. The Methodist church is not a cult. They are not cults because of the deity. How many of you get a hold of that? But when you start to destroy the deity of the Lord and say he can't when he can, then you're in trouble. When you say that God doesn't heal anymore, you're saying God doesn't save anymore. How many of you got that? Because the same faith that it takes you to get saved is the same faith that it takes you to be healed. The same faith that saved you is the same faith that delivered you. How many of you understand that? That faith right there, only the insurance companies get away with it. The insurance companies sell you a health insurance and a cancer insurance policy. Well, shouldn't cancer be in my health insurance? That's amazing if you look at all that stuff. But God isn't that way. God says there's one faith. It's called sozo. And that faith right there means that you've been redeemed, you have been born again, you have been healed, you have been delivered, and you have been brought up from the dead. And anything less than that, you get in trouble when you don't preach it. How many of you understand that? Because let me tell you what's happening in our churches. We are losing young people. Even in this church, we are using, losing young people. Listen, people, all you got to do is lose one generation. You lose the one generation, you're in trouble. They don't want to come to church. Why don't the young people want to come to the church? Because, listen to me, we're a traditional church, and they don't like it no more because there's nothing there for them. You want people to be involved in your church? Then allow God to manifest himself. God, allow God to save people. Allow God to heal people. Allow God to deliver people. Believe in the resurrection. Somebody say amen to that. And see what God will do. It's called the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Manifestation means when God appears and you see it. And you see it. That's an amazing thing. People probably say, you know, that was a coincidence that Dolly Parton's dad got out from, they all thought he was dead. They give him up for dead. Everybody got out with this guy. And he, he, he said, a guy come and pulled him out. There's nobody left in there. An angel of the Lord comes, a miracle. And people say, well, I don't believe that. Now listen to what it says. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power instruct me not to walk in the way of this people. I don't think he's talking about the world I think he's talking about, now in verse 12, and I'm going to go to the B side of it. You are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. You should not fear. We sing that song, I am not a slave to fear. Okay, here we go. Ready for this? Job, who was an upright man before the Lord, goes to make sacrifice for his children every day. Because he knows his children are sinful Hey, Job, I got some news for you Go get a rod and beat them half to death They'll quit it Okay, I didn't get no amens from that Where'd that good old-fashioned spanking go? When that old spanking went out And prayer went out And everything went out I'll tell you right now We turned into one nasty, nasty culture Yeah, you, 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 the Bible says if You don't chasten your child You don't love your child and so we don't chase children anymore because we don't love them. We'd rather kill them. We do that. It's called abortion. Right? And so here's Job. He's out here. He's making sacrifice. And then all of a sudden, devil appears one day before the sons of God and before the Lord. And the Lord suggests to him, have you tried my servant Stan Jagger? Oh come on, Stan! Stan, say I'm too old for this. <laughs> but he said, you, yeah, my, "How about my servant Job?" You see, God suggested it, and you know what the devil said? There <laughs> Ain't no point in that. You got to hedge around him. Mm-hmm. See, so what happens right there is the devil automatically understands the power of God. Yeah, right. you, you don't. You don't see that. But he says, well, you got a hedge around him. He understood the power and the might of God. He understood this. He could not nor had the right to touch Job. Wasn't his property. That's good. And the Lord said, I'll take it now. And boy, all kinds of things happen. He loses his children. He loses his wealth. And he loses all kinds of stuff. And he don't curse God. He's got this woman that says, why don't you curse God and die? Hey, ladies, wake up. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Got Joanne back there. She ain't going to be shouting in a minute. what, What was the Achilles heel of Adam? The Achilles heel of Abraham? The Achilles heel of Job? Start looking at it. We, that's a whole different message. Whew. That is tough, ladies. Yeah, just keep going. oh Don said, get out of that. Get out of that. Don said, and Kathleen said, he should never went there. He should never went there. Okay. But but, but anyway, so you have Job. And then the, the, the devil goes back to, to God and he says, yeah, but what will a man give Or will a man make it if you touch his body? Here's what God says. God said, do anything you want, but you can't kill him. Now, I want you to understand, God's hand's in this thing. You understand that? Do you understand the devil can't do nothing without permission? All right. so, So anyway, he does that. Now, here's what's interesting about Job. Job said, the thing that I fear has come upon me. That's what he said. He said, the thing that I fear now has come upon me. And he said, the dread mocks me. Why the devil know that? Could it be? Because when Job is praying, oh, God, don't let nothing happen to my children. Oh, God, don't let anything happen to my wealth. Oh, God, help me in this area, you know, and he's making sacrifice because he said the very thing had come upon him was his dread and his fear, and it now mocked him. Isn't that amazing? So how did the devil know that? He knew it through his prayer life. So what do you do? Change your prayer life and become strong in your prayer life. Because all of a sudden now Job's in the middle of this thing. And he said, God, you're not fair. How many of you know God is not fair? Never said he was. And there's no place in the Bible that ever teaches you that God's fair. He is not fair. Said to my dad, you're not fair. He said, I'm your dad. Don't have to be. That's true. I told my daughter one day, I said, I'm not your friend. You got enough of them. I'm your dad. I'm tired. I'm tired of parents wanting to be their kids' friends. You want to be your friend? Go ahead. But it's better they have a parent. Somebody say, "Man, that's going to teach them right and wrong and teach them discipline because that's true love right there." All right. So anyway, he it was through his prayer life, and all of a sudden now the devil hears your prayer life. Well, how are you praying? You might think about how you're praying, and the very thing that it came upon him. See, now he's saying to God. You're not fair. I haven't done anything. And he hadn't. He hadn't done anything. But now, this is just me. You haven't never heard this before. But do you think maybe God was trying to get to Job 2 and say, change your prayer life? How many of you ever thought of that? Maybe God was saying to Job, look, man, you are upright. You're a great man, and I need you in my kingdom here, but change your prayer life. So he said, change your prayer life. And so, he, you know, and then all of a sudden, God says to Job, God doesn't answer, Job, because God's not fair. Do you ever think God was unfair? Come on. Oh, you aren't right now? Okay, he still does. You know And all of a sudden, God just says, where were you when I? Where were you when I? And all of a sudden, he didn't have to say anything else. Because all of a sudden, Job grew in strength because he understood the God that created the universe was in control of his life no matter what the circumstances were. And as soon as he saw that, that thing was lifted off of him, and God changed that. I guarantee you this, that Job's prayer life changed. Listen to what happens here. You need to pay attention for thus... for. Uh, For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. You are not to fear what they fear or be in dread. It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become the sanctuary. You shall become his sanctuary. And listen to what he's saying. He's saying, don't fear your politics. Don't fear the corrupted government. Don't fear these things. He said, if you're going to fear anything fear me he said because i am the creator i am the one that you need to fear this listen to me they can't do anything to you they might take your body but they can't take your soul they can't take your spirit he said don't you realize i can take your body i can take your soul he said don't you realize i can take your spirit he said because i am god He said, don't fear them. He said, don't let that dread come up on you. He said, if you're going to fear anything, fear me. That's what he said. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, that was the Pentecostal preaching there. Okay. The quiet guy is the Baptist guy. And the loud guy is is the Pentecostal. You say, well, what are you? I'm a Baptist also. I have told you all that. That's exactly what I am. And why am I that? Because I am a son and I am always going to be a son. That's who God called me to be. But now listen to what he's saying to me. He's saying, do not dread what you see. Do not fear what you see, because he's saying, I can change that any time I want to. Somebody say amen. So listen to what he's saying. He said, fear me. Fear me. He's saying, dread me. Now, I love this. I love this. He said, then he shall become a sanctuary. Phew. We're the sanctuary, not this building. God's so powerful and so mighty and so awesome that he saturates the carpets. His spirit, his anointing saturates the walls. His spirit and his anointing is everywhere. Have you ever just walked into somebody's house and knew instantly when you walked in there was a believer because of the anointing that was in the house? Have you ever just walked up to somebody and you knew they was a believer because of the anointing? There is a physical anointing that comes with the kingdom of God, and it will saturate everything that can be saturated, but it is not the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary of God is who we are. So how do we come to the conclusion of this? If God told Abel to build an altar, and then God told uh, 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 Solomon to build a temple. God expected more from Solomon than he did Abel. He said, "Abel, build me an altar," and Abel built an altar. He said, "Solomon, build me a temple," and and Solomon built him a temple. Listen to what he says. He's not asking you to build an altar. He's not asking you to build a temple. He's saying you are the temple, and in the temple is the altar. Somebody say amen to that. Listen to me, my friend. We are the sanctuary. Of the Holy Spirit, and if we are the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, then let us be like Mary. And what did she say? With God, nothing is impossible. Somebody say amen to that. He's God, He's in control. He's in control of everything. We're the sanctuary. Let's stand. He said, Bind up the testimony. He said, Seal this law among my disciples. And then I like verse 17. He says, I will wait for the Lord. Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord who is in hiding. I I, I can't read my own writing. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Listen to what he says. I will even look eagerly for him. Sometimes God hides his face from some of the things that we do. So here's what I want you to understand Christ was meek But he wasn't weak How many of you got a hold of that He was a meek man But he wasn't a weak man He was strong in faith Psalms chapter 23 and verse 1 Sums up every single part of the Old Testament And the New Testament Just that one scripture verse Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen. I know. I know. That's it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Whew. Pastor Don was telling me that that uh I asked him, if it, when, when, when it got a cold, I said, Do you ever use such and such? He said, on my dogs. This is interesting. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you, you, you raised dogs, right? And I'm thinking you raised them and sold them. And he had 53 puppies that got parvo. And they said, you know, that's, in, that's death sentence for a pup, parvo. And so he got on the internet, and he saw where a certain... Thing that we use for the flu Was in Australia right And he'll parvo And his vet said that can't happen And the vet's the one that brought the parvo in So he, these dogs are none But non took that That flu stuff And started injecting it into his dogs Tamiflu And all 53 of those dogs lived yeah, Now listen here, Here's my point they, they lived, because understand this. First of all, he refused what he heard. And did not allow fear to control his decision. Here's what I'm saying. Let them say what they want to say. Is God hiding his face? Yep. He's hiding his face. He's hiding his face from some churches. That's sad to say, but he's hiding his face. But listen, my friend, he's not hiding his face here. And why? Because we say, let God be God. Harold put me on some music. Hey, uh, if you guys would go get that hot water and pour in this baptistry, I want you. Well, I, I, you know, I didn't have the heater in that. So I'm going to ask them to pour that in there. And as they get some songs, we're going to baptize three people today. And are you being baptized, young man? Okay, you're not going to. We're baptizing two. Okay, and they're getting ready. Listen to me. You must be born again. Say amen to that, people. You must be born again. And we can agree on that. You must be born again. You must see the power of God at work in your life. Now, how many of you right now just want to be a finger of the Holy Spirit? Okay, praise God. Let's take that hand then and worship the Lord. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And Father God, we are your hand, your arm extended. And Father, you said that we are the sanctuary, that you are the sanctuary. And so Father we got, Father God, we thank you that we know that your anointing and your glory fills this 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 literal temple here this church building but the sanctuary the temple is us father god and father you said that we were lively stones father father god you can you, you take a bunch of rocks and you heap them up in a pile and all you got is a pile of rubble but if you take those rocks and start putting them in the right place then you can build a temple father god we're lively stones and you're putting each one of us in the right place In Jesus' name.